Welcome to episode seven of the Weekend Write-In Podcast. I'm Sovan Drake. And I'm John Nedwell. Today we are joining you from our luxurious virtual studio, which consists of a closet in Seattle and a blanket igloo in Derby. Luxurious? It's claustrophobic. I'm banging my head in the duvet. Are you sure this meets the social distancing requirements? Uh, I think so. Eh, I don't know. I mean, what about catching something off the computer? I mean, you've heard about computer viruses. I don't think the coronavirus is on the computer, though, yet, is it? You're not one of those people who think that the 5G mobiles are causing this, do you? Well, you know, there's the government advice about cleaning your phone. Mind you, I don't do that. I know my phone is all the time. And... Uh, yeah, you got a point. I'd probably best clean it. All right, I think it's best that we get back to the podcast. I just don't know what we're going to do for the pub bit at the end, because the pubs are all still closed. Well, seeing as we're here, we can always have a nice cup of tea. How about that? Mm, you know, I'm really more of a coffee drinker. I mean, I, I like tea too, but it's not the same as going to the pub. Oh, come on. You can have a cup. Just a wee cup. Just the cup in your hand. Go on. You know, you'll dry out if you don't. Something oh, like that. Okay, know. all right, all right. All right, then. I'll get the kettle on. And while we're waiting for it to boil, I'll interview Sovan Drake. And then we'll find out what happens when a mother and a daughter are reunited. And a family will have to make difficult decisions during a flood. Trolls fight in the night. Parents figure out how to provide for a baby with special needs. A team determines the moon just isn't far enough. And we will find someone to kill your own worst enemy. Ooh, is that the kettle boiling? Tea's up. Oh, thank you. Hi there, I'm John Nedwell, and today we're interviewing Sovan Drake. Hello, Sovan. Hello. Would you care to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your writing? Sure. Um, I live in uh, Seattle, Washington, with my husband and my 10-year-old son. And I've been uh, writing on Wattpad for about a year and three months. Uh, I really enjoyed writing uh, when I was much younger as a teen and in my early 20s. And then I just sort of got into my career and didn't really have time for it. And I like to think I had writer's block for about 22 years. So I I just restarted writing again. So what inspired you to start writing again? Two summers ago, I binge read the Harry Potter series out loud to my son. Uh, we stayed up late in the backyard reading it almost every night for the entire summer. And we loved it. And we loved thinking about it and wanting to be in Harry Potter. And I had only ever read the first book 20 years earlier and had never really finished it, the series. And, uh, and then we got to the end and we went into withdrawal because we, we didn't have any more Harry Potter to read. And so I started looking around on the internet and I ran into Harry Potter fan fiction and realized that there were, there are millions of people who didn't want the Harry Potter books to end and, and millions of people who have written Harry Potter stories after the books. And so I set off to write my son and his friends into the, into the Harry Potter series in sort of a modern day take. They're, they're, they're sort of the same age, actually, as Harry Potter's children would have been. You, you've been pretty active on the weekend write-in for a while. Would you care to tell us how you got involved in that? Yeah, so 
Um, you know, I the Harry Potter fan fiction, I kind of I wrote a big story and then I was looking around for other things and, and I found uh, the weekend write in on the community pages of Wattpad. And it seemed like a, a good way to just kind of get some writing practice and get some feedback. And I found a, a really nice group of people who give each other very um, great feedback every week. And I, you know, short stories kind of suits me better than the long two book series I initially had thought I was going to read, read, write about Harry Potter because I, I tend to be a little bit uh, hyperactive and attention deficit at times. And so 500 words is, is pretty quick to write and it, it, uh, it became a pretty fun weekly activity to do. And then you started up this, the Weekend Writing Podcast. Um, what were your reasons for doing that? Um, I liked everybody so much on the Weekend Write-In that I wanted to actually hear them read their stories. Uh, and, and it's funny, now that we've heard many of them read several stories, when I read their weekly stories, I actually hear their voice um, reading it out loud. And I think it's been kind of a neat way to get to know everybody on that group. What is it that you find really inspires you to write then? Yeah, I've kind of decided that there's a couple of things. The, the fan fiction is now way, way, way in the distant back burner. That doesn't really excite me anymore. In addition to writing um, short stories, I decided that um, I would like to write my grandmother's biography when I retire, which will still be like another 20 years from now or so. Uh, so I started writing some of my short stories and weekend write-ins about my grandmother and her mother, who are very, very interesting characters and led a very interesting and adventurous life um, immigrating, to, immigrating to the United States during and after World War II. And then I've sort of been sort of toying a little bit with uh, sci-fi, which is a genre that, other than being a super big Star Wars nerd, is nothing that I've really read much of or certainly ever written, but I'm enjoying trying. Well, if you weren't writing, what would you be doing instead? Uh, another thing that I used to enjoy in my up until my early 20s was um, art of various sorts. I really like painting. Um, I like painting really large paintings. So I'd get a bit of cardboard that a refrigerator came in or something like that and, and paint something that's, you know, bigger than life size. And unfortunately, I stored all those paintings in my parents' basement in North Carolina and it flooded. So they're all gone and I didn't ever take pictures of them. Um, so one day I'd like to start painting again. Um, but I like other arts and crafts things too, but I just haven't done that quite as much in recent years. So I hope to get back to that as well. Something for the future, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the future, what are your plans for writing in the next year or so? I would like to try to um, branch out a little bit more to explore the world outside of Wattpad. Um, I work at the University of Washington and I did get a short story published in one of their um, university journals. It's a paper print. So I'd like to look for more other opportunities for old fashioned paper publishing. Um, but even some other online venues, something like Medium, I, I just, it'd be interesting to explore what else is out there in the next year. And if people want to read any of your work, where's the best place to go? Yeah, so my username on Wattpad is Sleeping Draco. That's a, a indirect reference to Harry Potter. Um, but I also have a website, um, www.sovondrakestories. Sovon is S-O-V-N, Drake, D-R-A-K-E, stories, 
www.wordpress.com. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll get people to look at that. Sylvan Drake, thank you very much. Thank you for interviewing me, John Nedwell. Reunited, 1946, by Sovon Drake, written to the prompt, River, and Not There. Mia's hands shook, lighting another cigarette as she crossed the East River for the fifth time. She took a silver pillbox out of her bag and coughed slightly as she swallowed two tablets without water. If Julia didn't arrive today, she would need to be hospitalized and heavily tranquilized. The driver glanced in the rearview mirror and quickly averted his eyes when she gave him an unfriendly stare. Americans were easy to intimidate. Twice already, Mia had hired a car to take her from her apartment in Greenwich Village to LaGuardia Airfield. Twice, her daughter was not there. Engine trouble, said the gentleman behind the counter who hurried out to support the middle-aged woman when she swooned. They stopped overnight in Iceland for repairs. The next day, the gentleman had a chair ready for Mia when he told her the plane had been forced to stop again in Greenland. Mia tried not to let the sweat on her palms mar the worn photograph of a smiling blonde girl with big curls. She closed her eyes and tried to hear her daughter's enthusiastic laugh. Would she still laugh like that after all she had been through? Her letters were so cordial, but how could Julia not hate the mother forced to abandon her as an orphan in Switzerland seven years ago? Mia thought back to the last time she had seen her daughter. It had been late at night when they finished putting up the Christmas decorations and boarded a train filled with soldiers. Mia's hands had shaken then too when she handed the border patrol Julia's forged passport, a Hungarian one stating she was Roman Catholic, which she was. Julia's family had been practicing Roman Catholics for three generations, but according to the Nuremberg laws, they were Jewish. Mia and Julia had barely spoken during the journey they were never really very close. Julia had been brave that night. She always was, adventurous too. Miserable tomboy, thought Mia. She wished she had brought more tablets with her to the airport. Mia was wrenched from her misery as the car turned into the drive of the airfield. Her heart hammered in her chest. On the runway stood a plane with an empty staircase beside it. The pilot was just emerging from the plane to cheers from passengers and reunited family members milling about on the tarmac below. Men in blue uniforms emptied suitcases from the cargo hold. The driver opened the door and Mia straightened her jacket, reapplied lipstick, lit another cigarette, and plastered a smile on her face before stepping out of the car. She held her head high as she joined the crowd, her eyes darting from head to head until she saw a mass of tangled blonde curls. Julia, croaked Mia. Slowly the girl turned. The cigarette dropped from Mia's fingertips and lay smoking on the ground. Julia didn't look any different than she had when she was 13, but in her arms was an infant. Mia, said Julia with a grin. Love and Loyalty Freddy clung to his father's back, a blue elephant hanging from his red fist. It'll be okay, Freddy. You just hold on tight. Marcus held out his hand to his shivering wife. Over here, love. Climb on the sofa, sit on the windowsill. They'll be here before the water reaches my waist, you'll see. Claire did as he suggested, clicking her fingers at their black and white collie, who jumped alongside her and growled at the water rushing by. Claire smiled. Moss will keep us safe, Freddy. Where's Tinkerbell? Freddy let go of his father's neck. No, 
Marcus dropped the small bag of belongings onto the floating sofa and wrapped his arms around Freddy. Climb up. Tinkerbell will be fine. You know cats have nine lives, Freddy. I expect she climbed to higher ground in the night. I want Tinkerbell, Freddy wailed. She'll be fine, Freddy. Claire lifted her feet higher and patted her son's back. We'll all be fine. Her hands shook as a wave of grey water lapped the windowsill. Over here! Claire waved out the window. Please, over here! Marcus grabbed the bag. There, I told you they'd be back for us. Two adults, a child and one dog, he shouted as the boat drew nearer. Hang in there. We've got an elderly couple to collect first. Marcus managed to smile, but his forehead creased. Oh, that'll be Marge and Tom. Oh, poor Tom. Claire shivered as the water threatened to push her from the sill. Marge would be so confused. I hope they can persuade her to climb into the boat. Marcus hung the bag on the curtain pole and wrapped his arms around Claire's waist. There will be another boat if it's a problem. Daddy, I'm cold, Freddy whimpered. Hello? An orange boat motored into view. Oh, thank goodness, Marcus smiled and a cat meowed. Take a bell! Freddy struggled. No, Freddy, we have to go. Marcus tightened his grip before handing Freddy to the waiting men. Take a bell! Freddy screamed. Marcus helped Claire back climb into the boat. Moss, here. Moss stared at Freddy before leaping off the windowsill and swimming to the stairs. Sir, you need to come now. The water's rising fast. Marcus looked back once before climbing out of the window. Strong arms pulled him into the boat and wrapped a blanket around his shoulders. Moss, take a bell, Freddy wailed. We can't wait for pets, sorry. The boat moved into the rushing floodwater. Marcus and Claire cuddled their distraught son. Moss, Freddy pointed. Moss was struggling against the current. Moss, Marcus leant over the side ready to grab the dog. But Moss pushed something into his hand before turning back. Moss? The rag wriggled and mewled. A kitten! That's why Tinkerbell hid. Claire took the scrap of sodden fur and rubbed it dry with her blanket. Look, Freddy, Tinkerbell's kitten! Tears poured down her face as she watched Moss struggle in through the small gap at the top of the window. Turn the boat round! We've another family to rescue. Mightiest of All, A Folk Tale from Telemark, Norway Retold by Joyce Holt Oza rocked the cradle while she sang Through the forest trolls may roam And the fox comes creeping But father guards our little home While our babe lies sleeping she glanced at the bar across the door. Though it will be me alone guarding the cabin tonight, she murmured. But Papa will be back before morning. Little Osbjorn fidgeted in his swaddling. Olza took up the lullaby again. By the end of the fourth verse, he slept. 
She stood, listening to the wind through towering spruce trees surrounding the farmstead, glad for the sturdy log walls shutting out any night-roaming beasts. Thunder rumbled. Woza frowned, went to the one small window, glanced out. Stars shone bright, no thunderclouds. She unbarred the door and stepped outside. It boomed again from the south, and there were words in the din. Stand aside, Gaza, you great oaf, I'm coming through. Loki, take you, Sota, I move aside for no one. You'll move for me, mightiest of all the trolls in these mountains. You, mightiest? Huh, I'm twice as strong as you. Oza darted back inside, barred the door, stood over her babe like a bear over cubs. Swine, oh swine, hurry home, she cried, then slapped a hand over her mouth. Trolls to the south, where lay the road to Brunkeberg and her husband's errand. No, no, do not come home, stay in safety. I'll show you who's mightiest of all. Crash, boom, the ground shook. Back down, or I'll beat you into the dust. Rumble, smash. Try that again. Eat this, you worm. Were they getting louder? Closer? Oza dashed to the corner of the great axe. Insults turned to wordless howls. Bellows roared louder than an avalanche. Thuds sounded like timber in being felled. The cabin trembled. The floor shuddered. Oza panted with fear, shifting her grip on the axe handle. An ear-splitting shriek, a horrendous boom, a jarring lurch of the whole mountainside, then silence fell. Woza regained her footing and listened. One set of heavy footfalls, tremors she could feel through her toes. They tramped, they tramped, they faded away. No sound now but wind in the spruces and the tight breathing of one lone woman. Orza didn't sleep at all that night. Spine did not return. Come morning, Orza fed her baby, bundled him onto her back, and with axe in hand set off to the south. Blocking the main trail to Brinkeberg lay the huge carcass of a mountain troll, beaten and bloody. Oza heard voices from beyond, men debating how to deal with a corpse too huge to bury. One of those voices was Svein's. She sank down in relief. Her husband made his way around the blockage, up the steep hillside, and down again. They fought over who was mightiest of all, Oza said, voice shaky. I could hear from the cabin. I think it's Sota who lost. Spine took the axe and helped her up. Lord forbid they'd woken the baby, he said with a grin, and there'd be two dead trolls to deal with. Lullaby, my little one, rain beats hard on the window, time to sleep for day is done, rock now in your cradle. Via, via, vish yami, rain is slur modruta, menos kavi suavi, 
This tale from the Brunkeberg area recounts that folk resorted, in the end, to piling a huge heap of stones over the carcass. Afterwards, the trail climbed right over the mound. A modern road now bends around the knoll called Sothaug Sota's Grave Mound, which is said to be haunted by the ghost of Sota. Never cross the mound at night. There Ain't Nothing Like a Nanny by Christine Larson Prompt Word, Diet Oh babe, what are we going to do? Cuddling him even closer, I looked lovingly into those huge brown eyes. Melted chocolate, I thought, like my melting heart whenever I looked deep inside those windows to the soul. Bending my head down, I whispered sweet, soothing words into his ears. He always relaxed when my voice came out softly, lovingly, and I kissed the top of his head. All was well in his world whenever I was near. It had been easy in the city. All the formula ingredients for his special milk diet freely available from the local health food store. And then the chemist came on board as well, happily ordering the rare ingredients exclusively for me but supplies had become erratic in our small country town, our weekly shopping hub. We were desperate. Recently, I'd discovered any changes to the essential three to four hourly feeding routine resulted in dire consequences. Couldn't help a rueful shake of my head as I thought of disposable nappies. Not my usual choice, but essential in an emergency along with baby wet wipes and similar items that have been so easy in the city, even after hours. What a blessing that 24-hour chemist had been, time after time. Abruptly, I straightened up, causing sudden alarm in the babe. Instantly wide awake now, his eyes huge. My head lifted involuntarily as I blurted out, Goat's milk! That's what we need! Goat's milk? Canate looked momentarily confused. Ah, now hang on. That's what Mrs. Sanderson told us about for all kinds of allergies and digestion problems and babies with special needs. Put them on a diet of goat's milk. That's what she said. Now I felt my face glow with the memories of that amazing lady. Mrs. Sanderson wasn't an official nutritionist, but her knowledge of baby formulas was awesome. After many years raising countless small, unwanted souls, she was an expert in her field. I shook my head in wonder. What would we ever have done without her to guide us and give us the recipe along with a healthy portion of formula to get us started? My dreamy moment was cut short as my eyes flicked to Kanate's face. As quickly as it had lit up, his mouth now tightened, ends pulled down in a grimace of frustration. But where on earth can we get a goat out here? Obviously, he could only think of sheep farmers in our district, the centre of the wheat belt, and no goats at the weekly stock market either. 
Undeterred and with my usual optimism, I shrugged. We'll find her, I said. Just wait and see. I will not lose this baby. Eventually, with pleas spread far and wide, we did. Just when we were despairing of success and the fabulous formula was dwindling alarmingly, we found her. She bore the strikingly original name of Nan, and due to her ease of milking, she became our earth nanny. We learned to raise all our rescues on pure goat's milk from their first drink. And not only all the ruse, it didn't matter what you tried it on, animal or human. Canute smiled, even chuckled some, as he slipped his arm around me. Me and Snoopy, the baby kangaroo. Challenge of the Decade Written by John Nedwell for the Weekend Writing Prompt Challenge Dateline, September 12th, 1962 We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy but because they are hard Mac turned off the television set and collapsed into his chair Shit, he said the majestic boys are not going to like this. Bradley raised a hand. Sir, what have MJ-12 got to do with this announcement? There was a rustle of sighs from the others gathered around the 12-inch Motorola set, as well as some sideways glances at Bradley. As he was the new guy in the office, everyone was making bets on how long he would last before he said something that would get him into trouble, erased, or worse. Mac fumbled in his desk humidor and picked out a cigar rolling it thoughtfully between his thumb and forefinger before speaking. You wouldn't know about the fuss last year when Kennedy cancelled the Iran Kassaba. That was our preferred platform. Good old American know-how. Not some souped-up Fourth of July rocket designed by a Nazi war criminal. It would have been beautiful. Riding to the planets and the blasts from nuclear bombs. We had that timeline all figured out. We'd got Heinlein and Campbell on board. They would have promoted it to the public, and the public would have lapped it up. Imagine, we'd have been to Saturn by 71. Saturn, 71. Then Boston Boy, Mac jerked a thumb at the grey television screen, cancels it. Didn't like the new angle. Space exploration should be peaceful. So we had to change tack. The MJ-12 steering committee was royally pissed. And now he goes and springs this in us. No warning. No consultation, Max sighed, shook his head, and bit the tip off his cigar. We've got to come up with a new script, and fast. Bradley spoke up again. But isn't that our job? Keeping the timeline straight? All right, it's going to be awkward, but awkward? Hell. Mac held a lighter to the end of the cigar, then took a long draw on the nicotine-filled smoke. We've got to incorporate new technologies and we've been given less time to do it. We're going to have to do a hell of a fake job now. He looked at the clock on the wall. All right, people, meeting, one hour. We've got to get started on this. Go! As the team left the office, Bradley hung back for a moment. He was sure that he heard the old man mutter, he'll be lucky if they don't put a bullet in him. Dateline, 20th of July, 1969. I'm going to step off the lamb now. Armstrong lowered himself from the ladder onto the lunar soil. On their way to Enceladus, 
the crew of the USSV Roosevelt watched the grainy images from far away. What You Wish For by Princess Doe, narrated by Sovan Drake. I am sick of this world. In my country, we have gone from the leaders of the nation to a persecuted minority. Now people who are not sick, just carriers, can give us a disease that will kill us. Now I have to run for cover in the shopping center because a gang shoots their way through the mall. Even in the city, I live in a jungle, so I'm leaving the city for the bush. I go to Zululand. I go to Makuza. I will live as a Zulu. It works. I get a job in the cane fields. I sleep in a hostel. Mealy meal is not that bad, actually tasty and filling, with a little salt. Poor people share a lot, not only money and things, but feelings, support, love. I am still pale, blanched but I am treated as black by my new brothers. It is safer to have nothing to steal. Gangs don't come here, so I feel richer than before. Day by day, I learn to speak Zulu, to be Zulu. When I am sick, I get herbal medicine from the Inyanga. Cheaply, it works. For uneasiness and happiness, I consult the Sangoma. The Ingaya is a physical doctor the Sangoma, a spiritual one. 84% of South Africans consult with Sangoma, but not in the neighborhood where I grew up. Maybe the 84% know something we didn't. This is a real Sangoma with a goat's gallbladder tied in the back of her hair, holding a cow's tail whisk. Yet like most Zulus, she speaks English well enough with me, even if she would use Zulu with other born Zulus. She seems jovial, always smiling, you come for healing, she says, because you look healthy, but you sick inside. I have not said a word, but she knows. Ah, I know, I know, she says. You are shocked. Yes, sort of, I say. I will shock you all this day, she says. I will kill the one want to kill you, she says. Someone wants to kill me, I say. No, she says, somebody already killing you. She has started to dance, waving her whisk around. Suddenly I cannot breathe. I gasp for air. Help, help. I can't breathe. That person, whoever, is killing me, I say. Yes, I got the right one, she says. Do something. Stop him. Who is he, I say, as she continues to dance and sing a wordless song from her ancestors. Who is he, she repeats. He you. You want kill you and put a Zulu man in your place. But this offend the first clause, who made you white, so you hate you. You want kill you, I kill you, set you free. No, no, I see now, I say. Immediately I can breathe, fully and deeply, I do. The Sangoma is smiling. You okay now? Put down R500 and go back to Durban. Respect yourself. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Weekend Write-In. For more episodes and links to more work by these authors, please visit our website at www.weekendwritein.wordpress.com. This episode, The Weekend Write-In website and e-magazine were created by Sovon Drake, host, executive producer and editor, John Nedwell, co-host and assistant editor, 
LML Gill, Web Design, and eMagazine. The following music soundtracks from FestLionsStudios.com were used in this episode. Beginnings in Reunited, Homework in Love and Loyalty, Elven Forest in Mightiest, Quiet Time in Ain't Nothing Like a Nanny, and All Shall End in What You Wish For. So, how was the tea? It's quite nice, thank you. See? Almost as good as the pub, don't you think? Mm, I don't know about that. I, I like socialising at the pub. Not that having tea with you isn't nice. Why is yours that funny colour? Ooh, well, it's lemon. I like lemon in my tea. Di- you know, different from sugar. Do you want to trim it? Want a bit? Oh, okay. Is there whiskey in this? Of course there is. Mind, it's just just a splash, though, you know. You can't have tea without whiskey, can you? Whiskey in your tea? I haven't heard of that. Is this just a quarantine thing, or is this why the Irish drink the most tea of any country in Europe? Ah, uh, well, it's a national stereotype, and we like to live up to that sort of thing. Bes- that, that and the whiskey, you know. What are you going to do? You combine the two and you sit down, you have a nice time and you just ramble off into the distance, talking and chatting away and...